to the latest in our series of Herbert Smith Freehill's public M&A podcasts. My name is Antonia Kirkby and I'm a professional support consultant at Herbert Smith Freehill's and I'm joined today by Mark Bardell, a partner here. And we both specialise in public M&A. Today we're going to look at conditions to a takeover offer and in particular what the UK takeover panel will allow bidders to include as a condition to an offer and when it will allow a bidder to invoke a condition to an offer. This is topical at the moment because the takeover panel has recently refused to allow a bidder to invoke a condition to an offer. The bidder for Mossbrass wanted to terminate its bid because of the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, but the panel would not let it do so. So the UK takeover code and the panel impose restrictions on what a bidder can include as a condition to an offer, perhaps more importantly, when a condition can be invoked, particularly a material adverse change condition or MAC. And the reason for that is that the code says that a bidder should only announce an offer after the most careful and responsible consideration and when it has every reason to believe that it can and will continue to be able to implement the offer. So the panel doesn't want a bidder to be able to use a MAC to get out of a deal just because it's changed its mind for other commercial reasons. So whilst we see offer announcements and takeover documents with several pages of conditions, in reality only very few of those can actually be invoked except in exceptional circumstances. And it's very important that the bidder who's not familiar with the code understands this. Mark, should we start by looking at what the panel and the code permit by way of conditions? Certainly. So I would break down the conditions into three categories. And the first thing to understand is that the panel has two bites of the cherry here in regulating UK bids. The first bite, as I'm describing it, is that any condition proposed to be included to a UK public takeover offer must first be approved or consented to by the panel. So the inclusion itself of any condition is subject to the panel approval. And then the second bite of the cherry is that any attempt to invoke the condition, i.e. actually use it in practice, is also subject to the panel approval. So you can see it's a very closely regulated area. The three kinds of conditions that I would then break a UK offer down into, just for ease of understanding, are firstly the shareholder related condition. So in the context of a takeover offer, a tender type process, that is the condition around the number of shares accepted into or tendered into the offer. Or in the context of a scheme of arrangement, it's the shareholder vote, which, as you'll know, in the UK is a dual test of votes in favour representing 75% or more of the shares voted at the meeting, but also a majority in number of shareholders. So those are the the first category is the shareholder related conditions. So the approval for the deal itself. And obviously, if the shareholders don't approve the transaction, there's no role for the panel in getting involved in relation to those conditions. The second category are the important negotiated conditions. So these are typically uh, ones that relate to antitrust, merger control, competition, or other regulatory approvals. So that the bidder customarily would carry that risk. And if the bidder doesn't achieve the satisfaction of those conditions, needs the ability to walk away from the transaction and the target company 
would be expected to negotiate around those conditions. So those have their own particular rules and, and they are, as I say, negotiated around. And the third category are the passive conditions. So these are normally run to several pages in the announcement of the firm intention to make an offer and then repeated in exactly the same terms in the offer document or the scheme circular. And they talk about the absence of things having happened. And that's why I'm describing those as passive conditions. They're protective for the benefit of the bidder. But these are the conditions that are, if you like, boilerplate in a UK bid and are subject to the difficulties that you describe about invoking the conditions. So you've got to go and speak to the panel and the panel will only let you invoke a condition if the issue is of material significance to the bidder in the context of the offer itself. And that's set out in Rule 13.5a. And the panel went a little bit further in explaining what would happen in the event of a MAC or material adverse events, material adverse change. And there are lots of different versions of MAC clauses in the boilerplate of takeover offer conditions. And that further explanation was set out by the panel in one of their practice statements, practice statement number five. And that all came out of uh, the example of WPP's bid for Tempus and the, the tragedy of September 11th in the US and the crash of the equity markets. And WPP attempted to walk away from that deal and invoke uh, a material adverse change condition. And that was appealed. And the hearings committee was very clear in saying that to invoke such a condition, that the issues had to strike at the very heart of the transaction. And they considered that in, in that case, the bidder or WPP, that is, ought to have taken a longer term view of the target. And that short term, albeit quite significant drop in the share price of the target company was not enough to strike at the very heart of the transaction. So that's the context of what the panel would allow. And that's the context of conditions and their significance in a UK bid. Before we move, move on to discuss the, the latest Mossbrough ruling, are there any particular conditions that the panel won't allow a bidder to include? So you, you sort of talk through the key types of conditions that a bidder might seek, but are there any in particular sort of restrictions around what a bidder won't be allowed to include? Yeah, it's a very good question. The panel is very clear that it won't even allow a bidder to include in a bid a condition which is subjective and within the control of the bidder. So, for example, the kind of condition that you'd often see in a private deal when you tender your first indicative offer letter would be that your price is subject to completion of satisfactory diligence on the buy side. And that is exactly the kind of condition that the panel won't allow because it is subjective and it is entirely within the control of the bidder. Policy objectives sitting behind this is that the panel wants any conditions that are permissible to be viewed and understood immediately by the market and for the market to be able to understand immediately whether or not a condition has been satisfied. So if you look at a regulatory clearance, the relevant regulator announces clearance or refusal it's binary in terms of outcome. 
and the market can judge that. So that is what the panel is policing and tries to limit the number of conditions and won't allow anything that's within the, the bidder's control. Because it doesn't want the bidder to have a walk right. Um, the panel regards certainty of the market as being of paramount importance here. Thanks, Mark. And moving on to invoking conditions, before we look at the MAC conditions more carefully, what's the panel's approach to invoking other conditions? Does it set out what it expects a bidder to achieve before being able to invoke, say, a regulatory condition? Yeah, so the panel is also very clear that a bidder should use all reasonable efforts, and that's the wording from Rule 13.5b, to ensure that its conditions are satisfied. And the panel uses the phrase all reasonable efforts, but it's very important that they're not bound by English contractual interpretation of what that phrase would mean. And so all the case law comparing best efforts, reasonable, reasonable commercial that we'll all be familiar with is not relevant to the panel. And the panel interprets its phrase in its own way. And the bar for all reasonable efforts is considerably higher than a UK court would interpret that phrase. So the panel really expects the bidder to do a lot and incur money and cost uh, in doing so in order to ensure that conditions are satisfied. And the panel will apply pressure to a bidder to ensure that that standard is met as they move through and try to satisfy the conditions to the bid. And moving back to the MAC now, well, you just mentioned the WPP Tempus ruling and the sort of the high bar that has been the panel sets in, in uh, order for a bidder to be able to invoke a MAC. Does this latest ruling in the case of Mossbros give us any more guidance on the panel's approach? So the short answer to that is yes. I think it does give us greater insight into the panel's approach to all of this. So bear in mind that the constitution of the panel. So the day-to-day -day guidance and rulings are given by the panel executive. And if you don't like those rulings, you get the opportunity to appeal to a hearings committee. And I note that the bidder, which was called Brigadier in this Mossbrus case, did exactly that. It later withdrew its appeal, so we don't get a published judgmental decision from the hearings committee. But we do see that this was one of those moments when a bidder was trying to walk away from a transaction and the panel executive stopped it from doing so. So that fact in itself is very interesting to note. It's even more interesting to note that from what we can see from the public statements, the panel executive clearly endorsed that orthodox approach, its existing approach to being very tough on bidders seeking to invoke a condition. So it's interesting that this is a confirmation of that existing policy and that existing practice. And one can then look at what was said publicly by the parties in the targets announcements, so Mossbros announcements, and we can look at the public statements by the panel executive itself to give us some further insight as to how they approached this kind of scenario. Because the panel is so tough, it's not that often that one gets the chance to look at a live case 
So the last one was WPP in Tempest back uh, with the tragedy of September 11th. And now at the time of the crisis, the issue has reared its head again. So that, again, is another interesting feature. It takes global crises to test this point. That's how high the bar is. And looked at from an outsider's perspective, you might say, well, if the global pandemic, the health crisis and the economic crisis that follows of COVID-19 isn't enough to constitute a material adverse change, then what is going to be enough? And I think that is a very good question that sort of hangs around all of this. My very brief summary of this whole scenario would be this was particularly difficult, I would say, looked at from the outside, from the bidder's perspective, to try and walk away from this particular transaction at the time it chose to do so. So difficult facts. And I dare say, had the bidder attempted to walk away in a slightly different fact pattern, i.e. if it had announced this deal back in, I don't know, November of last year, and then the crisis had erupted, it might well have been able to walk away. But on the facts, it left itself in a very difficult position to try and, and walk away. So what, what I mean by that is Mossbros, everyone will be aware, I'm sure, is a closed retailer and it sells uh, suits and rents suits for formal occasions. So that's its focus. It's a long-standing business, been around for a very long time and is a common feature on, on many high streets in the UK. But it's a business that's been facing some difficulties in recent years. And this bid was made by a consortium calling itself Brigadier. And there were some individuals and companies sitting behind that that have a history of owning retail brands and a history of turning them around. And that's what this deal was about. So if you if you read the announcements, this was a turnaround strategy. And the plan was that the bidder thought it could increase the profitability of Mossbros by lowering the costs of supply and leveraging the expertise of the shareholders sitting behind Bidco. It arrived looking at Mossbros at a time when Mossbros had itself already recorded a loss. So this was not a case of a business that was flying high and brought low by COVID. This was a struggling business that the bidder thought it could turn around, announced its bid on that basis. COVID made bad things worse, but that's a, a very different fact pattern than, as I say, a high-flying business brought low by a crisis. So I found it particularly interesting to note that the timing of the whole thing. So it was on the 11th of March of 2020 that the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. And it was the next day, the 12th of March, that this bidder announced its firm intention to make an offer under Rule 2.7 of the code. So it knew about the pandemic. More than that, the pandemic was referred to in the, the 2.7 itself. And one can only assume with that timing, the pandemic had been at least partially priced in 
to the bid price that the bidder willing willing to make. And you could see in the 2.7 that there were references to the trading update that Moss Brothers had made back in January and the headwinds facing the company. And within those challenges was called out expressly. So six headwinds or six challenges were, were mentioned. And one of those was the highly uncertain but potentially significant impact of COVID-19. So again, it must have been in the mind of the bidder as to what was going on with COVID. Maybe the full extent wasn't present, but one can only assume that it must have been foreseeable to that bidder um, at the time. And, and that's exactly the kind of point that from the outside, I would expect the panel executive to have taken into account when assessing the situation here. Therefore, that's why I say difficult facts for the bidder to walk away from. In particular, there was no specific negotiated condition around the impact of COVID. So one can only assume that the bidder must have priced it into its bid price and then sought to rely on the, that category of general passive conditions of material adverse change at the back end to protect it from a truly macro event, but did not negotiate a specific protection around COVID-19. And it would have had the freedom to do so. So that, that's another, for me, killer point going against the bidder that, that it chose not to seek that particular form of protection here. Thanks, Mark. I think you're right. It's a combination of timing and the fact that the, the uh, pandemic was referred to does seem to make it very hard for a bidder to walk away in that scenario. One final question. A few people have asked me why it took so long for the panel to reach its decision. Do you have any thoughts on that? So look, look at that from the outside. I don't think that the panel did take particularly long to reach its conclusion. So from my perspective, we could see that the the announcement of the firm intention to make an offer happened on the 12th of March, and there's then 28 days within which to post the scheme document. The scheme document came out within that period on the 8th of April, and it was then soon after, on the 22nd of April, that Moss Brothers announced that the bidder had made a submission to the panel um, seeking to invoke a condition. It was then approximately a month later, on the 19th of May, that the panel gave its ruling. And then, you know, a couple of days later, the bidder appealed, or, or we saw the announcement that the bidder had appealed. That was the 21st of May. And then it was on the, there was a weekend in between, on the 26th of May, the bidder then withdrew that appeal. So what you're looking at there is usual period of within a month for the scheme document to come out. The issue gets flushed out soon after the scheme document, and that's hardly surprising. It's kind of what you'd expect. And then it takes about a month for the panel to reach a ruling. And what I would expect the panel to do is to hear the request from the bidder to go back to the target to ask for the target's counter arguments. You'd then expect that the bidder would have a right of reply. 
and maybe there's some further follow-up for the target and all of that. So for that process to have taken a month, I don't regard as longer or slower than one might expect. And I think the other relevant factor here is that the cash was there per the cash confirmed statement until the 30th of June. And therefore, the panel, I'd imagine, was trying to fit its process of hearing both sides, reaching its ruling, allowing time for an appeal to the hearings committee and allowing time for a further appeal to the Takeover Appeal Board, um, all to have concluded before the 30th of June and then to have allowed the, the court to have approved again within the 30th of June so that the deal could close within the cash confirmation period. So I recognise I've gone into quite a lot of detail there, but what I'm really saying is the panel would pursue a process of hearing both sides out, and therefore for that process to take approximately a month, I think is reasonable in the circumstances entirely fair. And bearing in mind, things were probably changing during that period. So the lockdown itself was easing. What was going to be the impact on retail? Those things were moving whilst that point was being debated. So I'm sure that had an impact as well in people's minds as things developed. Thanks, Mark. It's all a very interesting area and it'll be interesting to see if uh, any other bidders try and and get out of bids. But I wouldn't be optimistic. I don't think that... um that they'd be able to, given how we've seen the pandemic develop now. I think that's all for today. Thank you for joining me, Mark, and thank you to our listeners. We would welcome any feedback or thoughts you have on this episode of our Public m podcast or any other areas you'd like to see discussed in future episodes. And we look forward to you joining our next one. Many thanks.